Hi, I'm Wendy Pirelli. And I'm Emily Hill. Welcome to Dude, Where's My Pipeline? Where we're asking the age-old question, where's my pipeline, dude? On this show, we're talking about all things demand gen and tech marketing, from the latest trends to best practices and more. And on today's show, we're chatting with Brandon Friesen, CEO of Integrated Marketing Agency, Just Global, where media insights and creative services work together to create data-driven business outcomes for brands by delivering the right stories within the right experiences at the right times. Brandon is a leader in the media industry with over 20 years of experience delivering business growth for brands and has a successful track record across a myriad of disciplines centered around technology, marketing, media, content, and publishing ecosystems. He's grown challenger brands into category leaders, steered brands through acquisitions and IPOs, and championed blue chip enterprise businesses, all in the name of meaningful progress. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Oh, it's great to be here, Emily and Wendy. We've known each other for some time now, so it's always great to sit down and chat. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you're, you're right. We have known each other. I think you've been working 20 years and so have I. So we both started when we were about five and, uh, you know, here we are right straight out of kindergarten. So, I, I think like the 20 years was being nice. I think I've actually been doing this for over 30 years, which is, I don't want to admit, but pretty crazy. You know, I think we, I think we stopped counting after 20 years. So That's let's right. just stick with that because we stopped aging after that point. Too. I should open my mouth on that point. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today as well. Actually, my history with you is I did a fun collaboration with Just in the past, so I'm excited to get together again. So Brandon, why don't we get started with you telling us a little bit about yourself? Wendy just gave you a great intro, but in your own words. That was a nice intro. Thank you, Wendy. And Emily, absolutely. We worked together a couple of years back. You run this awesome Lady Tech Marketer podcast, and you did a really cool like multi-episode series featuring a bunch of our teammates and uh, so really really great stuff R regarding me i'm the ceo of just global I live here in the bay area of course i'm a father and a husband first those things always come number one but yeah i'm really proud to run this uh, this agency just global and as you mentioned we're a b2b purist you know and our vision is all about how do we go inspire extraordinary business relationships for our customers and we definitely believe B2B can do better than it has traditionally. And that if you really start to put personalized relationships at the center of business, good things can happen, right? It's, it's just like how we've all worked together for years. And, and it's our philosophy on how we work with our customers, our partners. It's our values internally. And, and it's how we build relationships for our customers. And so, yeah, what we're kind of about is how do we use like really smart, data-driven strategy? How do we use the right personalized creative and content, bring those to life through impactful media experiences and ultimately drive full funnel measurement against KPIs? So kind of that brand level activity all the way through demand gen to revenue impact. So we actually call it brand to revenue, but it's really about yeah relationship building because that's what we believe ultimately equals pipeline and more than just pipeline, like reoccurring revenue or what we like to call reoccurring relationships. Yeah, you know, I was I was just going to comment. You're absolutely right. I mean, how many times have I been in a relationship with you guys over multiple companies, right? I mean, I think it was VMware originally, and then it was HP, and then it was ServiceNow, and then it was my second tour of duty at VMware. Right. You know, every time I go someplace, you guys are the first people I bring with me. So it is, you know, business is about relationships, you're right? It's all about it. Absolutely. So Brandon, you're here today to talk to us a little bit about 
driving pipeline in a bear market, which, you know, we're in right now as confirmed yeah. by the S&P 500 in June, back in June. But of course, you know, it can be confusing because the media is saying different things. Some say we're in a recession, some say we're not. Well, so according to research, the conference board, more than 60% of CEOs globally say they expect a recession in their primary region of operations before the end of 2023 or earlier. God, the end of 2023, that's a whole nother year. A sentiment shared by other C-suite executives. 15% of CEOs say their region is already in a recession. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Like, what do you see in the market right now? I mean, those are pretty conflicting opinions all around. I mean, it's a it's a crazy market right now. I mean, we've talked about how long we've been doing this stuff, and we've seen multiple <laughs> bulls and bears and, and all these things in the market. And, you know, like they say history repeats itself, but really it's probably more rhymes, right? So I kind of think that's what we've been thinking about is, is like, how do we take past learnings and apply them to this market? But really it's it's pretty unique. Like what unemployment is 3.7% in North America or something like that, but just go open your LinkedIn feed and you're going to see it filled with news of, of layoffs or slowdown in hiring. And you've seen all the data, there's definitely a much lower volume of VC deals taking place, not just in America or North America, but in EMEA. I just saw a report on China in the in the slowdown of funding there. You know, I think we're seeing private equity be a bit more aggressive in this market, but you know, we're also seeing a lot of public companies revising forecasts and a lot of elongated purchase process. And yet a lot of people still can't hire fast enough, right? So a lot of conflicting information and data out there. But what, what I think we think about, since we're so squarely focused on B2B and tech like yourselves, is that the need for, for B2B technology is not slowing down, right? Like every single day, the world creates more data. Unfortunately, like cybersecurity attacks are on the rise, right? Things like robotic process automation and AI are really creating more efficiencies and processes. Like there's still a massive migration to the cloud. So... You know, we have all these things, energy crisis, global wars, all this stuff, but the demand for technologies is not going to slow down. I think the big thing we're seeing is just that those purchase processes are getting longer and there's more scrutiny being put on, especially larger deals. I was reading a stat recently. I think it was like the, you look at the SMP North America technology software index or whatever it is. Out of the 120 companies on that list, 52 have mentioned slowdowns in a purchase process on their earnings or investor calls recently. So it's the reality of what's happening in the market. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I actually saw a study, I don't remember who it was from, but it was reported by CNBC. I'll have to find the data source, but it actually said that CIOs are continuing to, like their budgets aren't necessarily going down. They're flat, if not going up. So to your point, they still have purchasing that they need to do to keep their businesses running, right? They're not going to be like, oh yeah, let's not buy any cybersecurity this week. You know, right. like, let's just, you know, let that one slide. You know, there's still critical things that that run their business that they need to pay for. So, I mean, that's that's one optimistic data point out there that, you know, their budgets aren't necessarily going down. Yeah. I think like the good news for folks in B2B and tech is it is resilient. There's ups and downs. And even if we are in a tougher market and it'll probably may continue to be so for longer, you know, it will rebound because, humans are now reliant on technology and B2B tech is basically 
the backbone of how the world now operates. And it's actually a pretty scary equation to think about what would happen if like tomorrow, all of a sudden it went away. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, you know, when we're in times of uncertainty, which, you know, <laughs> is like a, a tired word now, now after the last couple of years, you know, after the last two and a half years with the pandemic and all the chaos that it really caused around the world and every which way possible. And now we're also dealing with the bear market. You know, Brandon, can you tell us more about your experiences with bear markets in the past and, and how is this one different and maybe the same as well? Yeah, again, I think I think I said before, like history doesn't always repeat itself, but it rhymes. And so I think we're just trying to look at some of those patterns because every every kind of downturn is unique in itself. But I think the one thing history does show us is that this is a critical time for marketing, right? And the brands that make smart marketing decisions now are the ones that are going to recover or or do much better in the market. And the ones that don't, it's going to take them a lot longer to, to compete in the long run. So for us, it's kind of all comes down to like your share of voice versus your share of market. And so again, you look at data out there, there's data from like IPA, a bunch of other sources, LinkedIn, B2B Institute. It tells us that brands that invest in a higher share of voice relevant to their share of market will grow long-term in a down market versus those that decrease it versus their share of market. So, you know, some of the things we've done as an agency is we've actually developed like competitive dashboards for clients and we take all these data, multiple data sources, you know, syndicated research, actual data sets, and we put them together so we can actually track our, our clients' competitive spends relative to to our clients and it's not it's not like perfect data but it's great directional data to help inform some of these decisions because there are very tough decisions being made in in boardrooms right now so you know all this said we're big believers you obviously you have to stay very active with your marketing but it's it can be a tough conversation right when you're the ceo on the board and maybe you just did a hiring freeze or you just laid off folks it's pretty easy to go cut marketing budget as well, especially full funnel budget, but it's not going to contribute to your long-term growth if you do that. Yeah, I think we're really fortunate. You know, Pierce Spot, our CEO, he he has said this a couple of times in our like all hands meetings. There's some famous race car driver who says, you know, it's hard to pass somebody on a sunny day, but you can pass them much easier on a rainy day. And it's kind of the same thing, yeah. right? Like when people are putting their brakes on and they're you're trying to avoid the skid, here's our opportunity to accelerate and, and pass through on, in that rain, right? So I think you're I think you're a hundred percent right, but it's always this this back and forth of, yeah, we know that's the right thing to do. But like you said, you got your VCs and your boards saying, yeah, but you got to cut 20% of your budget, right? So like, where are you going to cut it? And it's always the easiest to like, well, maybe just cut it out of marketing, right? It's like, ah, oh, why are we always the target? Yeah, yeah. business strategy becomes like, how can we adjust our Excel spreadsheet to make the numbers work? And that's not, not necessarily the right approach, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same philosophy as, you know, and, I, and I've had this conversation with a couple other CMOs where, you know, when when times get tough, you don't stop investing in your 401k, you keep investing in it, right? Because you know, that's your future. So if you stop investing in your brand and what's happening in your brand, just like you said, 
you're you're putting the brakes on. You're not investing in your future anymore. And guess what? It's going to be that much harder to accelerate when the market comes back around. You're going to be at the starting line with everybody else who put the brakes on. Right. So so it's kind of that same that same mentality of yeah, it's a little bit scary to make these investments in these uncertain times. But if you don't do it, you're falling behind, essentially. As you mentioned, or as both of you mentioned, in these moments of you know uncertainty, it's so common for companies to cut marketing budgets, to cut marketing teams. But at the same time, you'd sort of mentioned about how in these times, it's actually because so many people are cutting marketing, it's actually a great time to be amping that up. Can you speak a little bit more on that and like why it makes more sense to actually be investing in that? Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's interesting. We have with some clients, especially some more on the VC backside, we have seen some more pressure on marketing budgets, no, no doubt. But we do have a number of clients who are continuing to stay aggressive with their marketing and, and how they're going after the market share right now. And I think, you know, there are some really smart organizations out there that are kind of like for not to put it a better way, but like to to take advantage of the market in some ways because they're in a position to do so. One of the things that companies have a tendency to do is look at that marketing budget and say, okay, we have to make some compromise here. And sometimes that full funnel marketing budget can be cut. And it's just like, you know, all we're going to do is generate leads, right? And that's all we're going to focus on. Let's go push as many white papers out in the market as possible and, and try to like build database. But that's not really the way to go, right? I think it's like, how can we be more efficient? How can we do more with less? Knowing we have longer sales cycles, how do we actually start to crank up the volume a little bit of that full funnel activity? You have to continue to develop really cool, engaging brand experiences combined with that kind of more personalized demand engine, right? And I think you can get really smart about the data. We're using the data that's out there. I think you can get really smart about how you're customizing different plays. Maybe instead of going after you know 10,000 potential customers, Maybe there's only 5,000 you should focus on and do a better job with those 5,000. Or instead of 1,000, it's 500. Or maybe there's just 50 large enterprise accounts that you need to focus on, whatever that equation is. I think it's really thinking about as sales cycles get longer, how can you accelerate that purchase process or at least combat that elongation of the purchase process? And you're, you're gonna only be able to do that if you're thinking like that full funnel customer relationship at the brand level, all the way through how you're going to, you know, maintain and have those repetitive customers. So, yeah, there's no doubt the heat is turned up for businesses right now, though. How do you, if you were to give us some advice about PeerSpot, how does PeerSpot fit into that, that equation? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think what's cool about PeerSpot, Wendy and Emily, is that it's not your traditional kind of demand gen that is really, really an outbound, you know, one directional marketing tactic that's about like, hey, let's push out this content and hope a bunch of people register for it. When someone's going and engaging with PeerSpot, that's an amazing sign of intent, right? That's an amazing sign of intent that they're going out and they're reading a peer review or a series of peer reviews that they're doing a comparison on your brand versus your competitive brands. And it's actually an engaging content experience, right? 
It's not like, you know, read this PDF of 40 pages. And so I think there's that dynamic to it is one, it's a much more engaging user experience. And then just by the nature of what you do, you know, that's a great signal that, hey, this company or these people are very active right now in their research for this market. So, you know, I would say they've probably done a lot of activity before they showed up to peer spot to try to figure out like, hey, what's our business need? What are the type of solutions we need to, to look at to go about this? Some of the brands they've heard of, some of the brands they haven't heard of once they've, they've got to your site and probably the brands they heard of and they have a good feeling about and they have a stronger emotional connection with, probably the more validity they're gonna put in those types of reviews as well. So, you know, I think what's cool about PeerSpot is it's kind of changing the game of what the user gets from their content consumption and then what that means for the marketer. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that insight. You yeah. know, it's interesting. I saw some data that shows the average technology buy takes from lead to consumption to, to deal about 130 days. If it's an enterprise deal, it takes 40% longer. I'm sure with the economy, it's probably snapping on another 30% longer, right? On top of right. that 40% longer. And when somebody starts at a comparative, like peer review, you know, where they're like, they've got their short list, they're looking to see which technologies they want, they want to see what people think, it shaves 63% off the timeline when they start at that point. So to your point about like, hey, we're in these times where you got to be smarter and more efficient about how you're, how you're turning your funnel, you know, yeah, it's great to do top of the funnel and wait, wait for the lead nurturing to happen and wait for those 130 days plus 40% plus 30% or, you know, just go right to the, right to the end of the funnel and get those in there and, and start working those. Right. It's interesting. So often we, we have customers who will take our leads and take some of them and put them into nurture. So you don't need to nurture these babies. They are ready to buy. <laughs> like send them to your SDRs and tell them to start calling. So yeah, you know, we got to think differently about, you know, our lead sources. There's a big efficiency play there, Wendy, right? Because especially like you're saying, once they start calling on these, once BDRs start being active, it's like, no, these don't need nurture. We can just start calling on them right away. Now, right. I, I still think brands need to separate themselves before they get to that point, right? And you still need to, you still need to make a name for yourself because not everybody is going to be in market today, right? You're going to have a much smaller group of potential targets that are going to grow your business that are potential customers that are in market today. So you still have to engage with those companies because relationships now, like they start digitally, right? And, and yep. that's, that's the nature of the world. So but once they get to that point, there's so much efficiency, Wendy, in, in what you're saying in terms of the user that's on a pure spot site. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you on the brand thing. I mean, we, we've seen it, right, in the work that we've done together. When you're driving a brand campaign alongside of your digital lead gen campaign, you're going to get lift out of both of them, right? Like the brand campaign is going to pull your, your funnel work up and give you more efficiency out of that. So, you know, they work better together. It's got to work together. Yeah. So as a follow-up question, how do you, how do you see the relationship between marketing and sales and marketing and customers and prospects changing during this time or like how, how to maybe better those relationships or any tactics that, you know, you have to share? Can you speak on that, please? Yeah. So 
you know, everyone always talks about this relationship between marketing and sales and, and have done so on the importance for what seems like a, a decade now. But I think the fact is the, the nature of the purchase process just continues to evolve and change. And when you look at the data, like, you know, I'm sure everyone's seen the Gartner studies and whatnot, but it's like, there's a large percentage of buyers now that prefer a rep-free buying experience. And uh, that said, it's, that's not always a reality for large enterprise deals, right? When you're, when you're talking a deal in the millions, tens of millions, there's going to be a lot of sales involvement early on, but especially around some of the trends in cloud and SaaS, more and more of that user has an expectation that, you know, what's the stat? 83% of that purchase process is going to take place before they ever engage with sales. And so... To me, again, it comes back to what I talked about earlier, which is it's about relationship building. And I think if sales and marketing can come together and just think, how are we going to collectively build that relationship? That's where I think good things are going to happen. So, but that relationship building starts long before your customers are going to engage with you in person. And so it's the same with our personal lives, right? Like how many, how many people do you know that met their partners digitally first? right? Or, or your kids spend most of their time socializing digitally. Like uh, people buy cards digitally now. I just talked to someone who bought a house sight unseen remotely. Wow. And so it's the same in, in B2B. The game is changing for brands and how they engage with customers. And you better get on board with it. And you better get good at creating digital experiences for your customers or, or not good things are going to happen. I think the other thing is you have to think about your audience and your audience persona and also the generation of your audiences. And I think that's a big change that sales and marketing teams have to adapt to. You know, Christopher Lockhead and, and Category Pirates? Yeah. Did you, you watch any of their stuff? You know, I, I worked with Christopher Lockhead as one of my first jobs, so I didn't have to watch it or read it. I lived that's it. Right. <laughs> so you, that was probably at Mercury, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I was reading one of their newsletters recently, and it was really cool the way they were breaking down the difference between native analogs and native digitals, right? And a native analog, you're talking kind of the 40 plus crowd, right? Your native digital, you're going to be like kind of 35 and younger, and they have really different experiences. So like I'm, I'm a digital analog, admittedly so. And so when I'm on a Zoom meeting, it's like, oh, we had a video meeting, right? But when a digital native is in a, in a Zoom or a WebEx or whatever it is, they'll go, oh, we had an in-person meeting, right? And, and if the native analog, I'll say, oh, let's meet in real life, IRL, right? But to the native digital, that's just like default. Like what we online is like real life. And so it's really fascinating. And, and if you should go check out some of those newsletters. But, you know, he also made the point that native analogs have existed in their current form for about 130,000 years of human existence. Native digitals have been around for about 35 years, right? And yeah. so us native analogs, we're like, we're the, we're the last of the breed, right? We're the last of the, the native analogs. So yeah, shout out to, to Blockhead on marketing and all that, but really interesting to think about. And, you know, we started talking about the relationship between sales and marketing and customers and all these things. And these are all, all things that we need to think about because the game is changing in how sales and marketing work with customers.
Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up. So I have a 21 year old daughter and I've noticed her, of course, she grew up with a phone in her hand, right? So she's definitely in that native dish. Right. And so it's interesting because when she applies for jobs, the first thing she does is she goes out and she reads the reviews of the people who have worked there in the past. It's like right. no, no brainer. Like it's part of the process to go before she applies for the job. Like, do I want to work here? I need to go see what people are saying before I work here. I don't know about you, but I know Glassdoor has been around for a while. I never go look at it. Like I use my network to tell me where are good places to work, right? I use real people that I, that I engage That's right. With. Hey, Wendy, what do you, what do you know about this place? You know? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And I just think it's, you know, again, maybe it's a factor of being younger and not having a network yet, or maybe it's truly to your point, they're just growing up digitally and they know I don't need to have a personal network. I have the digital network that I can go out and engage with to help me, you know, make decisions about like, where am I going to eat? Where, where am I going to work? What am I going to buy? Right. Like the world has changed that way. It's interesting. Yeah, That's yeah. really interesting. I, you know, as you get, both of you have been talking about this, I'm just thinking about where I kind of fall on that. I'm 36. And so I'm sort of in that, in a like- You fall in the cracks. I'm in both. <laughs> right? I, I'm, I feel like I'm in both because I do feel- like am I having a Zoom call? Like we're having this conversation, you know, over Zoom. I think of it as over Zoom, not in person. Like you were mentioning, Brandon, about how, you know, digital natives think of, you know, these conversations as just an in-person conversation. Right. I, you know, we've all had to adapt, of course, over the last two and a half years, but I miss being in person. I think there's a place for both, right? But I definitely miss just meeting with people in person. I think that there's a different it's a, the vibe is different, right? Like you connect differently or in my opinion, at least, but I also, I've also lived online for a long time too, you know, but, but I mean, I got a cell phone when I was a junior in high school. Like I didn't like grow up on cell phones right, like, right. <laughs> at all, you know? So I do find myself kind of in the in-between and it's kind of interesting. I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, how you have to interact with each generation different other than, you know, meeting online. And, and of course, over the last couple of years, like digital experiences have, you know, skyrocketed in their growth because they had to, right. But as we kind of transition back into like a little bit of both kind of a world, how do you like tactically include both, you know, these digital experiences as well as in-person experiences? And how do you speak to each generation in that way? I mean, it's, it's a good question. I think, look, the, the big transformation with all of this stuff is the user is now in control of their journey in the buying process. No matter if you're a native analog or a native digital, you are, as the user, you're now in control of the purchase process. You know, people may have different expectations, like a native analog may pick up the phone sooner and want to talk to a human but right. they are still going to go engage and do a lot of their research online. Maybe they're more apt to go to live events as well, but I would, I would argue native digitals like meeting in person too. They still like getting together in person. They still go to the events, but again, their expectation when they engage with a brand is that they're going to be able to engage with that brand on their terms and they're going to be able to engage with that brand digitally and online. So I think it's like just really thinking about how you're personalizing the experience with your prospects and customers. And hey, that could be at an executive briefing center or a live event, or it could be the touches that you're engaging with digitally. I mean, the fact is people are spending more time with connected TV, podcasts, 
online gaming, YouTube, social, and the apps are rapidly changing. Are either of y'all on Be Real? Not yet. Nope. Not, not yet. <laughs> All right. That is now overtaking even TikTok. In, wow. in, uh, in the next generation of, of apps. And so these yep. are things, even like TikTok, which has now been around for a while, these are things as marketers, I don't care what generation you're in, you need to think about that and even how people consume that content and how that content experience is changing. But I think as we talk about brand, demand, pipeline, revenue, all those things, we need to kind of bust that myth of what brand marketing is about, okay? And brand marketing is not about your logo and your color palette and, you know, blasting out this brand anthem. It's like, how do we build great messaging and then deliver that in really cool and unique ways? And then how do we start to measure the impact of these kind of engaging experiences on demand and pipeline? And so, you know, did that prospect who saw you on, I don't know, Hulu or CTV or listened to you on a podcast, did they actually go engage with you on a peer spot to go like read a review of you? Did they, did they go to Google and start to search for you? Right. And, and so now you can start to really think about that full digital journey and really start to connect the dots between those activities. Like we know from data that when a prospect engages with you through a digital experience and then they search on Google for you, they're going to convert at a five to 10x higher rate than people who are never exposed to your brand. And so then if you can measure that Google conversion all the way through the funnel, this is your path to how we're engaging brand all the way through to revenue impact. And so again, I, don't, I think I'm straying away from the original question. But I think that's the mentality, no matter what that native digital, that native analog, no matter what, it's about how you're engaging with them across that purchase process in new and unique ways. Yeah, this is, this is good stuff because it is, everything's changing, right? And it's, it's changing rapidly. I don't even know what Be Real is. I need to go check that out. <laughs> Give me a second. As you were talking about, it, I was like, what is that? I think I've heard of that. <laughs> like <laughs> it picks the time of day when you post and it, and it basically takes a picture of you and whatever you're looking at. So it, it's, it's both views of your camera and you don't decide on what day it is. Oh, if you yeah, don't yeah. post, then you don't get to see the other person's posts. What if and you're so, in the bathroom at that moment? I'm just then, saying, uh, you know, you know, maybe you passed that day, Wendy, maybe you passed that day. But, oh, but so it, it like automatically does it? No, you you have to you have to you know you engage it, but there you have a certain time frame to to do okay. so. So it could be during dinner, it could be in the morning. But okay. why it's getting a lot of buzz and hype is because you know this next generation is going. Oh well, everyone only posts the fake stuff on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. Like it's always the good thing, and the good things happening and. You know, we all have it of our kids smiling on vacation where they just got in like a big argument five minutes before or whatever. So he <laughs> real kind of like the combat of this, right? So interesting. I'm yeah. like go yeah. totally off topic of this whole conversation, but this I just total tangent right now. I'm curious how that applies in B2B. Like, how do you bring that over to like a B2B tech world? You know, I think all of this stuff that like TikTok, look, you're seeing it on LinkedIn. I mean, which is a B2B platform, authenticity, transparency, 
I mean, some people have taken it too far. You may have seen the crying CEO, right? And, you know, which I think was probably harmless in this person's mind, but really didn't think it through. But so there's a right way to be authentic and a wrong way to be authentic on this. But, you know, look, I think this is, that's what it's all about in, in marketing now is being really being authentic with your brand. And, you know, I know we put a lot of weight in marrying our people, employee experience with our values, with our customer experience and, and with our business vision. And so, yeah, I think for brands, you can no longer just like, hey, here's our marketing and here's our story. It needs to relate back to here's what we stand for as a brand and here's the values and the things we care about. And this is how we treat our employees. And this is how we treat our customers. And this also comes through in the solutions, products, et cetera, that we offer the market. Yeah, what's the saying? A brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. I mean, yeah. your point, it's not the colors and it's, it's how they feel, right? There's so many other elements to what the brand is than just what it looks like. That's right. I think traditional brand marketing, and probably rightly so, gets a, gets a bad name, especially in B2B, because it was thought of as this like really high level thing when really today based on this change in purchase process, based in this, these generations we talked about, it really is more about brand experience and engagement with the audience, right? Because, you know, if I have a, a strong perception and I think well of a brand, it's going to have a much higher value on my mind. And so, you know, maybe I'm on PeerSpot and I'm reading a review and there's two that are pretty close in terms of the customer feedback or the peer reviews. And maybe one even costs less than the other ultimately, but I'm going, you know what, this brand is much more trusted. They've been around, they have a good reputation. You know, I'm actually willing to pay more for that brand because of, of that perception I had of it. You cannot separate the emotional and the rational side of the buyer in B2B, although in B2B, they've wanted us to do that for so long, right? It's like just rational speeds and feeds. And it's like, no, go look at the data. It's proven that you have to go make an emotional connection with your audience, even in B2B. And if you don't, your competitors are going to blow by you. So good luck. I was going to actually ask you one other question, Brandon. So as a CMO talking to an agency who has to present to a CEO and a board, how do you justify spending money on brand in a down market? Like, how, what are the numbers? What are the metrics that you show for success to the board where they say yeah, that mattered, right? So what would be the what would be the advice that you give a CMO on the slide that you take into a board meeting that makes them understand investing in brand matters? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great conversation, Wendy. And it's not always an easy one to answer, especially in a world where there's a lot of short-term decisions being made versus longer-term decisions. And I think that's what has a tendency to happen in B2B marketing as well, is that you know, you're living at a quarter at a time. And, you know, as a marketer, hey, I gotta hit my MQL goals or my SQL goals for the quarter. I, I gotta nail them. And if I don't, then you know, I don't have a job type of thing. And so there's a lot of pressure put on marketers around that. And look, we believe in demand and pipeline building. We do tons of it. I mean, it's all about ultimately driving pipeline and ultimately revenue for our clients. But we do think it's important to take a step back and go look, how can we actually create efficiency in pipeline through 
generating brand experiences. And I think this is where if you start moving away from your leading indicators and you start looking at some lagging indicators of data, this is where it starts to bear fruit. Because if you're looking at your inquiry to MQL to SQL, the close one deal rate, and we all know that's getting longer right now, like we talked about, but if you can combat that by in those early stages, starting to build that relationship with that customer prior to the point where they are going to start engaging with you, you are going to start to accelerate that purchase process, right? And so if you're a CMO talking to your board, it's about, look, we have short-term you know, leading metrics that we need to hit. Got it. We got to fulfill our MQL numbers this quarter. But we also have to think long term about how we accelerate relationships versus our competitors in the market. We have to think about how we create value so we have pricing power when we engage with our customers. And so this is where some of these more brand experiences come in. And this is also where the world of like ABM or ABX or whatever you want to call it comes in, where you can start to break this down at an account level and go start to engage those specific accounts and segment those accounts based on where they are in that purchase funnel. And the great thing about marketing in today's world, well, there's the good and bad. The good thing is there's more data than ever. The bad news is it's often hard to sort through all of the data. But there are certain signals that I think you can look at as a brand if you're smart. And that is being able to measure what that more upper funnel activity, like how are you engaging with those specific accounts? Are you touching those accounts? Once those accounts convert, are they converting at a higher rate than the ones who haven't been exposed to the brand prior? And so you can start to show that data and that acceleration of that purchase process, or maybe in this market, at least the slowdown of a longer purchase process. So it, it's hard. It takes a lot of discipline. Frankly, it takes having a CEO and board that understand how marketing and sales work and that aren't just solely product driven, because that can be a real challenge too. So, yeah. you know, I think there's education that needs to take place about how all this stuff works in today's world. So yeah, not easy, but there is data to support these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. And it goes back to kind of what you said at the top of the conversation, which is, you know, if you're not investing in your brand, you're losing the share of the voice in the market and which consequently, you know, decreases the share of the market over the long term. And I've seen this time and time again in the market. And I've seen brands that, you know, all start out and they're on equal playing ground with product. And, and the ones who are smarter with marketing, invest in marketing, grow more than the ones that don't. It's a fact of life in B2B. It sure is. So while we have you here and you know, before we wrap up, I do want to ask you a little bit about during times like these, you know, adjusting to budgets, how do you do that without hugely affecting staff and customers? And how do you kind of maintain morale when there are layoffs? These are tough questions and tough things that brands have to deal with. And, you know, and I think there are a lot of brands that are not going through layoffs right now as well that are, that yeah. are continuing to prosper. But the ones who are, I mean, to me, that all comes down to what we were talking about before with, with transparency and just being really open with your teams about what's going on. And then making sure they know that you have a good strategy in place 
and that you show your teams that you're going to keep, even if you're going to keep investing in your brand and marketing and your demand, you're going to keep investing in your people and in your communication with your people. So yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not tough conversations of like, Hey, we're going to maintain the spend in this area, but we're going to decrease our spend in this area. But it's one companies really just have to, to face head on. And um, yeah, I know like for our, you know, business of just under 200 employees, right? We're, we're a small business, but, you know, we continue to invest in our people and our people teams as well as our marketing. So we just hired a new chief people officer, which I'm really excited about. And, you know, our ratio to people on our people slash HR team relative to our employee size is very high. We'll also spend more in marketing in the year ahead than we have ever in the past. And so, you know, it, again, I think it's just, you just got to be open, open with your teams and, and do the best you can there, but it's, it's not easy. Thank you. Thank you. Brian, do you have any final thoughts or parting words of wisdom that you want to give to the, to the crew here? It's always fun to hang out with the, the two of you and get to chat all this <laughs> stuff. And it's, it's fun to go on some tangents and things like that. I think you know, it's a lot of the stuff we talked about, which is just trying to be really smart in this market. And I think a lot of it starts with messaging. And so any great marketing starts with messaging. And if you're a brand and you haven't gotten a better pulse on your buyers and how you need to engage with them, I think this is a very good time to go scrutinize your messaging and content. I think it's a great time in the market to really think about that full user experience from first touch to last touch and really make sure, especially on the digital side, that it, it is a really smooth, engaging experience. You know, I think now's the time to be ready for CFO level conversations in your marketing as well. And it's not just line of business and IT decision makers. You have to think about finance teams now. You have to think about that full decision-making unit. You have to think about procurement. So again, it's just mapping those journeys to all those customer sets, really use your data, you know, think full funnel. You have to think omni-channel now. You can't, you can't just run in, in single channels and expect to do well. And then, you know, two last things. I know I'm kind of giving you a bunch of points here, but, you know, really nurture those audiences, those new and existing customers. And then the last thing I'd say is we haven't talked a lot about things like MarTech usage, right? But a lot of B2B brands have spent the past couple of years really heavily investing in MarTech and, and marketing ops. Now's the time where you don't necessarily need to invest more in those things because you've probably already made the purchase. Go get the most out of it in this market, right? Go get the most out of it in this market. But yeah, ultimately, I just say it all comes back to relationships and going and building relationships in the market. And the way you build relationships in today's market, you really need to think holistically and almost that digital first experience. And if you deliver those brand experiences and you really tighten your performance marketing machine and you start to think about that on account level, then you're going to do great. You're going to do great in this market and you're going you're gonna to combat any slowdown and you're going to drive long-term results. So 
all great points. Those are all great points. I can almost see a TikTok of you pointing to all the points, right? Like (laughs) everything goes back to a visual TikTok. But I want to say, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about not only marketing in a, in a bear market, but you know, what is brand to revenue and how to think about your target audiences and, you know, just all of the goodness that you brought today. I, I think it was really valuable for, for I'm sure Emily and I, and I'm hoping for all of our listeners as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. It was very valuable to me. I feel like I learned a lot from you today. And like Wendy said, I know that our listeners will as well. Yeah, I, I learned a lot from both of you. None of us have all the answers with this stuff, right? This is why this kind of dialogue is so important. And so go do those IRLs and you know, go have those conversations with people because that's how we'll all get through all this stuff is is collectively. That's right. Yeah. It's all about sharing learning right now. I feel like that everybody's more involved in wanting to help each other learn than ever before. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It is. It's kind of beautiful, actually. It's not always been that way. So it's nice to see and experience. So, you know, as we wrap up, if you have any questions or other ideas to add to the discussion, feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn or join our community on Facebook, the Tech Demand Gen Spot. We'll put our info in the show notes as well. So it's really easy to find for you. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in to keep getting this sweet show in your podcast feed every time a new episode drops. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, tell a friend, dude. Special thanks to PeerSpot for sponsoring our show. PeerSpot is the buying intelligence platform where tech pros learn about enterprise products before buying. On top of that, PeerSpot helps demand gen marketers fill their pipeline with high quality, bottom of the funnel leads, and create voice of customer content for all stages of the buyer's journey. For more info about demand gen and how to fuel your pipeline, check out marketing.peerspot.com.